Hi, entrepreneurs. It's Steph here, and I want to be sure you've had the opportunity to reserve your ticket to our Entrepreneurs Founders Weekend for our Wealth and Wellness Retreat presented by Chase Inc. We will be hosting our event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida from May 3rd to May 5th, and you are definitely going to want to be there with us. This is going to be your opportunity to build relationships with some of the most powerful women in business. And I can share with you firsthand that the best business relationships are formed when we really get together in person. And I just know so much business magic is going to happen when we're all together. From educational panels, networking activities to wellness activations, inspiring keynotes and breakout sessions. This is going to be a weekend you are not going to want to miss. So you can reserve your ticket today over at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. We only have a few tickets left, so be sure that you reserve yours today. That's entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. I cannot wait to see you there. It's a very different kind of business and it is requiring a whole new skill set and stuff that I don't know how to do, you know, stuff that I've never done before. But it's a really fun challenge and like place for me to be because it's something I don't know. Allie Webb kicked off her entrepreneurial journey when she took her thriving mobile blowout business she had launched as a side hustle and turned it into the dry bar empire we all know today. And she didn't stop there. You're about to hear not only the inspiring story of how Allie made luxurious blowouts accessible to everyone, but how she is now building her two latest ventures, Squeeze, a disruptive massage salon chain, and Beckett and Quill, a DTC jewelry brand that offers high-end designs and materials at an affordable price. Coming up, you'll hear about the early days of Dry Bar and how Allie first started her mobile blowout business to solve a personal struggle. Partnering with her brother for both Dry Bar and Squeeze, and Allie shares her best tips for working with family. Managing the explosive growth of Dry Bar and the process of starting a second business the story behind Beckett and Quill, and how they are disrupting the space. Allie shares the secret sauce behind building successful partnerships. And finally, the importance of leading with kindness and fostering an environment where your team feels empowered. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Allie, we are so excited to chat with you today and hear all about your entrepreneurista journey. You are definitely a serial entrepreneurista with so many exciting ventures under your belt, and I'm sure many, many learning lessons along the way from launching Dry Bar to Squeeze and now Becker and Quill. I'd love for you to take us back really to the early days. Growing up, did you always know that you wanted to run your business and be an entrepreneur? No. And you know, it's, it's funny, the timing, I think it's going to 
at the timing on a lot of our, I think we're, the conversations we're going to have today. My father is actually in town. And I literally, just before I got on here, I was just kind of like catching up with my dad. And we always end up going down the path of like, whoever, who knew you'd be so successful. And my dad's like, you were such like, you were just such an observer and you were so quiet as a kid. Like who knew you had all this in you, you know? So no, it's a big fat no. You know, I mean, I, and we also said in the course of this conversation, my brother, my brother was like, I think you guys might be a little young to understand this reference, but the Alex P. Keaton, you know, there was a show and when I was growing up called Family Ties and Michael J. Fox played Alex P. Keaton, who is this like overachiever, like businessman at like the age of 15. And that was my brother. And, you know, my brother was like, just, you know, you just knew Michael was going to be successful because he was smart as shit, creative and and he is, he's brilliant. And it was kind of like, what is Ali going to do? You know, and that was like kind of the, the tone or the theme in my house. And anyway, so it really was like, even I even said just today to my dad, it was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't see any of this coming. And, and I actually said to him, I'm like, it is so interesting and almost like bizarre, you know, to me when I get interviewed and people say things like what you're saying, it's like, it's a trip because I didn't, I wasn't, wasn't like super driven as a kid and, or even as like getting out of high school, like I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't go to, I went to, well, I kind of went to college for a second, but you know, knew that wasn't for me. I never liked school. I didn't do well in school. And so to have ended up where I, where I have, it's a pretty, pretty big surprise to all of us. You know, I think of myself now as like, you know, if I get my mindset on something, you, you really can't stop me. And I'm, I will almost always succeed in whatever that is. But, you know, it wasn't like that as a kid, you know, I wanted to be like a professional tennis player that didn't work out. You know, I wanted to do lots of things that didn't, it took me a while to kind of come into my own kind of strength. I think. Take us back to the early days of starting dry bar. What led you to, to start that company? Well, you know, I think like the seed of the idea was probably planted in me so many years ago. I mean, as I grew up in South Florida and if you've ever spent time in Florida, you know, it's like the worst for your hair. We, do, we both not- just moved here. <laughs> We're both in Florida now. <laughs> You're in yes. Florida? Where? where? What part? I'm, in, I'm in Miami. And nice. I'm in Palm Beach Gardens. Yeah, we left New York City last year and moved down here. That's that's smart. But I mean, I I, I don't think I could ever live in Florida again because of the weather. Because as my a hair. curly hair girl, my hair was always so frizzy. And back, I mean, now I could I could actually manage around it pretty well now, I, I think. But back then, you know, I was like, I was this young girl with this curly, curly, frizzy hair. And I was so mystified how like supermodels of that day, like Christy Brinkley and Cindy Crawford, like how did their hair look like that? Like what the fuck were they doing? And it was such a mystery to me. And so, you know, I used to beg my mom to blow out my hair and she wasn't a hairstylist, but she did. And it was just this thing for me that was like this thread throughout my life. So fast forward to, I mean, it's a long story, but basically like not knowing what I wanted to do out of high school, then wanting to be in fashion, working with my brother, and then finally making the decision to go to beauty school in my early twenties, and then spending almost like a decade working off and on in hair salons. Then meeting my now ex-husband in New York city, that's where we like met. And I lived all of my twenties and moving to LA, having two babies, becoming a stay-at-home mom, which I thought was like the dream. And I was like super stoked and felt like the luckiest girl that I was like, I didn't have to work and I could just raise two kids. And then after five years of being a stay-at-home mama, I was like, oh God, 
I need to do something for myself. And so I started a mobile blowout business in LA where it was like basically like catering to like all of my mommy friends, you know, who I was like, I'll come over when your baby's sleeping and give you a blowout. Because at that point I'd been a hairstylist for almost 10 years and I was pretty good at it. And I learned how to blow out my own hair. And so I thought, what if I only charge $40, like two twenties and I'll show up at people's, these women's houses and their babies are sleeping. And that was perfect for me at the time. It was exactly like what I needed to like get out of the house, get away from the kids for a couple hours and like do my own thing and make a little cash, which I don't actually think I made money between gas and driving around, but it was mentally exactly what I needed. And so that business was booming, like really booming. And I was like, holy shit, like, I think I might be onto something with charging this kind of money, very little money for a blowout that maybe I should think about opening a brick and mortar instead of me going to them, them come to me. And so I went to my brother and I said, my business is, is like getting really busy. I'm having to say no more than I'm saying yes. I think we should turn what was called then straight at home into what became dry bar. And he was like, I think it's a great idea, but like, you think women will do this enough because his wife has like stick straight hair, like the hair of my dreams. And he's like, Sarah doesn't blow dry her hair every day. I'm like, I know, dude, but like, you remember growing up with me and my crazy hair, most women can't do their own hair that well. And he was like, okay, you know, and it didn't take much convincing. And then my husband at the time, Cam, who's like the creative mastermind behind dry bar, he's a creative genius. He was a creative for many years. He thought it was a great idea. And he thinks everything is a bad idea as a like creative, most creatives do. But anyways, so we started talking about this and thinking like, this might be a really good idea. And, and, you know, Michael for years, we, he would always say, I always thought like, he always thought that women in LA had too much time and too much money on their hands. And that's why the concept works. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think it just works where there's women with hair and that turned out to be true. So yeah, I mean, that was like the beginning and that was in 2010, 11 years ago now. And we didn't have like grandiose plans. We didn't have a business plan. We didn't have anything. It was just like, this is a great idea. Let's turn Allie's mobile business into a store. And, and I was like, my kids were all of like five and three when we started Dry Bar. They're 14 and 16 now, which is like, so crazy. And I thought it'd be like my little shop and I'd go and pick up my kids from school. And I, but man, we totally underestimated the demand and how this would resonate with women. And so, I mean, that's how it all started. <laughs> how did you get the word out when you first launched the brick and mortar store? And how quickly did you realize you had something really big here and decide to start building out other stores? Well, because I'd also had a little bit of background in marketing, as did my brother, we both worked in PR a little bit, dabbled in PR in our 20s. So I knew the game. I knew how it worked. I also worked, you guys probably know Rogers and Cowan. I worked there for a while in the music department, and which was a great like stepping stone of, of like really like my foundation because I learned how to like write press releases and I sat in the cubicle and I thought that was like the coolest thing because I'd always had like creative jobs. And so not that that wasn't creative, but not like office jobs. And so I knew, I knew like this concept was so new and there was nothing like it that I knew just that in and of itself, anybody could have done PR for us just to start getting the word out. I knew it was like, because it was a new thing, it would garner a lot of attention, which it did. But we hired a friend of mine who, who ran a local PR firm here. It was called Blueprint PR. Her name is Jill Eisenstadt. I haven't actually talked to her in years, but we were good friends back then. But she also really, more importantly, the fact that, I mean, it was like PR and we started to get like local news stations started covering us and we, you know, blogs were just starting, but it was that back then it was still like, you wanted to be on the news because that's where people got their information. This was like before the Instagram era and all of that. And 
So, you know, they did a good job getting us on that. And it was this new concept, so it was easy. But Jill also did a great job of like infiltrating like the mommy community, which was a big thing for us. And I would say in those early, I don't think this anymore, but in those early days, we really thought like that was going to be our our clientele. It was going to be like stay-at-home moms, moms, and like this very like 30 to 45 range of women, which turned out to not be true. That may actually be like our biggest demo, but we're doing everything in between and above and below. And so it was pretty easy to get the word out, if I'm being really honest, because it was like, and we were lucky in that regard. You know, it's like, you guys know from, from you, what you do, it's like, you have to have a point of difference always to stand out. It's like, what's the thing that makes you special and unique? I mean, for us, it was like, it was everything in the already billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry. It was like, we were just doing blowouts and people were like, what? The mirrors weren't in front of the stations and people were like, what? It's a bar. Like, what is this? You know? And it was so different and unique. And it was really just the whole concept was like, I just liked blow drying hair. Even when I would cut hair, you know, in a salon, I loved getting through the haircut to do the blowout because that's when you really saw it come to life. And I was just obsessed with blowout. So I was like, I really think that if we charge the right price, women will do this regularly. And that was like the, the whole concept. So, and then what would happen is women would come in and they would tell all their friends and then their friends would tell their friends. It was so much word of mouth. And it really was like right before the Instagram era, it was like when still when tweeting was like a big, thing and people were tweeting pictures of themselves. And then when Instagram really started to blow up, like forget it. It was like pictures. And then even if someone only had like 200 followers, that was great because they 200 of their friends would now see this like picture of them usually in like the dry bar bathroom, which we always made sure the bathrooms were really cute. And I wish I knew it was because I knew people, I wish I could tell you I knew it was because people were going to take pictures in there. It was just because we, our architect was a genius and was like, you have to make the bathrooms cute. People forget about the bathrooms, but they matter, you know, which is where so many of our selfies end up coming from. So yeah, it was, it was a, a lot of things. I mean, even like in marketing, like my brother had, my brother worked for Yahoo and he like ran the marketing page. So he had a relationship with Danny. I can't remember her last name, but she started daily candy, which I'm sure you guys remember Daily Candy was like the shit. If you got on Daily Candy, like your business was made. And Michael had a relationship with Danny who founded Daily Candy because he had put her on the cover of Yahoo because that was something he did. So we got them to write about us too, which was huge. You know, before we even opened, they did a piece on us. So, you know, it was a lot of these things, a lot of these levers that we knew to pull you know, but it's just, it's just part of getting people in the door. Then we had to get them in the door and they had to like love the brand and the concept, which, you know, they did. So. Yeah. I remember when dry bar came to New York and how excited I was and my friends were just to get in there, get an appointment. It was hard to get an appointment at the time. How did you manage such explosive growth just from an outsider looking in? how did you do it? Well, it was so hard. I mean, as, and New York especially was really interesting because we had launched this business in LA and it was a very like California brand and with the sunny, like the yellow and the white, it was very like happy and sunny. And then when we were opening in New York, I would say it was like maybe our second year. Cause we had opened like in Arizona and in Dallas, we hadn't done New York yet. And I remember, I think we might've had a different publicist at the time. We were with Alison Broad for a little while. I'm sure you guys know her. And she really knew that market well. And 
the feedback that we were hearing was that, oh, we have this concept here called Blow. And there there used to be a salon in New York, you probably know it called Blow. But Blow was like, I think they maybe started as just blowouts, but they were like a full service salon. So I was like, no, it's not like Blow. You know, it's like only blowouts. It's set up like a bar. It's a very different experience. But it was like almost like we were having to convince editors that like, no, this is really different and better. You would just have to trust us. And there, you know, so there's a little bit of skepticism in those early days. And then it was like, we needed to hire, you know, speaking to growth. It was like, now we have to hire stylists in New York, make sure they're great. And how are we going to do that? You know? So it was like, I like put together a team of like my best stylist from LA. We went to New York. We worked out of like the Parker Meridian, just training stylists inside this hotel because, because of the, the trepidation of editors, our PR firm organized like, a, like an event for editors to come in before we actually opened the shop, which was like, I thought I was going to like lose my mind. Cause I was like, we're not going to be ready, you know, cause I don't, I have to like vet all these stylists. So that was really stressful, you know? And then it was like, it was kind of like things like that kind of kept happening where we just had to figure it out on the fly. You know, it's like, I trained hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stylists in those early days. I mean, when pre-COVID, right before that happened, we were about 4,000 stylists. And that that's not even to mention probably like 10,000 stylists that we've trained, you know, that have come through Dry Bar, which is amazing. And, and I'm really proud of that. But managing the growth and trying to keep up with the demand and hiring stylists and all of that was like, I mean, brutal because there was so much demand and it was so hard to get an appointment, but we didn't want that. It was like, we were like the cool club you couldn't get into, which is like, that's not what we want. We want this like business that everybody can come to, you know? And, and there was like a really like healthy rub between like, I was very picky about putting stylists on the floor before they were ready. It's like, but the manager of that store and every, everybody else was like, just get them on the floor so we can get more people in. And I'm like, no, we can't do that. Like we got to keep our reputation intact. Like we can't, we have to be really good at blowouts. It's all that we do. So it was a lot of pain growing the business, you know, and for years it's been like that, you know, I mean, there's always been a lot more demand than supply. It has been very, very hard over the years, you know, cause it's also like a very labor intensive job and it's not for everybody. And as a stylist, like it is a lot, it's intense to be blow drying hair. I mean, we're really flexible with their schedules. Like if they only want to work a three hour slot or they want to work six, but it's like after like six hours of blow drying hair, like that's a lot, you know? So it's a tough business to grow and scale. And, and, you know, we got better as we went and we, we started hiring people that knew how to grow and scale businesses and were better at it than, than we were, because we didn't know how to do that. So, and that was like smart of us to do that. I would love to take credit for that, but that was really my brother who was like, we got to hire people who know what they're doing. Cause like we don't. So it was a lot of different things and then bringing in private equity and a lot of money to help us grow and their expertise really came in handy. So are you still involved in the day-to-day of driver? I'm not, you know, I haven't been for a couple of years and that was like a slow progression for me and a really interesting and like cathartic and weird experience, you know, because I would say, probably somewhere around year seven, we had brought in a professional CEO around year three, also about a year after we brought in private equity and we had raised a lot of money and we're opening stores really quickly. And we really like, kind of like, you know, obviously in the early days I did everything. I made every decision. And then that, that 
process slowly started to change. Or we brought in, like I said, you know, people who were like smarter than me, people who knew how to run and grow a business and all the things that I was doing slowly started to go away. And and we would, I'd hand those off, which as you might imagine, was, was tough to hand a lot, a lot of that stuff off. You know, there were some things that I was like really happy to get rid of like payroll and wool, you know, like, don't, don't give me I'm a still waiting for that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, nobody wants me in charge of payroll, but you know, the, I would say like the things that I didn't, the, the last things that I gave up, you know, were like training and product development and all of that stuff, which was like, you know, and, and I still remain like the face of the brand and I still do a lot of that kind of stuff, but we really started to like grow as a company and didn't need my, didn't need me to do it the way I at once had. So yeah, I mean, that was, that whole process was really oof, a lot of therapy. I mean, I, <laughs> there's a really great picture that John, our, our, our old CEO, John Hefner, who was amazing, has in his office where I'm like my, I'm basically like this with my head in my hand and my hair falling and John like looking at me because it was just such a, such a crazy time of me having to learn how to like delegate and give other people responsibility and all of that. And that really, and even like in my style with how I would go into a store guns blazing and just be so pissed off about so many things. And like, be, you know, and John's like, dude, you got to chill. Like you can't go in the store and scare the shit out of everybody, you know? And, and I would do that because I would walk in the stores and like, I, I walk in a dry bar and I see a million things that aren't right. You hopefully probably don't, you know, but like I, the, the floorboards are dirty or the music's not right. Or the, I don't like the way they greeted a customer. Like, you know, like I don't like the way the products are displayed. Like, it's just like, it's a, it's like a, it's like an assault on my se- sensory you know, overload. When it's your business, you want <laughs> it's everything. It's just your baby. Be. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to learn how to like, I had, had to learn how to like keep my shit together, send an email after, make a call after, instead of like making everybody crazy in the store, which I would used to famously do. So yeah, it's, it was, it's been quite the process of like kind of slowly weeding myself out of the business. So yeah, I'm not in the day-to-day now. I'm still on the board and I'm still in, involved, but I'm not in the day-to-day. Coming up, you'll hear Ali share why she was inspired to partner with a jewelry designer and the fun new challenge this brings. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. As a founder, or really as a woman in business who is creating their own success, whether you're just starting a business or you're scaling it, dealing with finances and money can often feel very overwhelming and intimidating. We have all been there. But according to fellow entrepreneurista and personal finance expert, Varnoosh Tarabi, that fear can surprisingly be very helpful for your future success and wealth. Farnoosh is the host of the So Money podcast and the author of the best-selling book, A Healthy State of Panic. She gets candid about all things finance with leading business experts every Friday on her podcast. And she dives deeper into the nine biggest fears that hold us back both professionally and personally in her latest book, including rejection, loneliness, fear of missing out, and failure, to name a few. She offers a wealth of knowledge and tackles the relatable feelings we all experience about money. So you are definitely going to want to subscribe to her podcast. And if you want to meet Farnoosh live and in person, be sure to join us at our Entrepreneurista Founders Weekend event from May 3rd to May 5th at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. 
Farnoosh will be speaking and she cannot wait to connect with you. You can reserve your ticket at entreprenista.com forward slash founders weekend, and we will see you there. I can talk to you all day long about the lessons you learned from dry bar, but I really want to know about squeeze because getting massages is my absolute favorite thing to do. So how did that concept come to be? Well, similar to how dry bar came to be, you know, the thing with, with dry bar was that we, we realized that there was kind of this big hole in the marketplace for, for an affordable blowout in a beautiful space. Like it didn't exist. It was like high-end salons, you know, they were over overcharging for a blowout or there was like the discount chains, which kind of sucked. And for the experience is bad. The lighting was bad. You're sitting next to a kid. It's just like, blah. And, and it's really the same thing with massage. You know, you can go into a spa and you can pay upwards of three, $400 for a massage, or you can go to like the discount chains. Then there are plenty of them. They're just not good. So we were like, why is there not a thing in the middle? There should be a thing. And, and my brother and I always like you, like our whole lives, our parents got massages all the time. So we loved getting massages. And Michael was really frustrated with the experience that he was, he was having with, I won't name any names, but there's a big massage chain and it's not great. And it's like, if you want a massage and one stop is busy, you have to go and call the other shop and then you have to call the other one. And then when you go, it's like the decor isn't good. And like the massage is like hit or miss. And it's just the customer service is not good. And it's like, there's not, there's no brand, there's no experience around it. And that's kind of like what we, are kind of famous for is like creating, it's like, we didn't invent blowouts, but we created a much better experience around getting a blowout and price. And that's exactly what we did with squeeze. And Michael had been percolating on this idea for years, but we were, you know, in the thick of it with dry bar and Brittany Driscoll, who was our old head of marketing, who you guys should have on the show. She's awesome. She ran marketing at dry bar and she was amazing. I mean, she came in and like, organized the shit out of us and got us on track. And she's amazing. And she was like at the, at the point where she was ready to move on to something new after she'd been a dry bar for, I don't know, five years or something. And had really helped us like get from like, you know, zero to hundred. I mean, I think she helped us go. I think we had like maybe like 15 stores when she left, we were close to hundred and something like something like that, but she's, she's brilliant. And we loved her. And when Michael and I had this idea, but knew we couldn't do it on our own. And we were still like way too in the weeds with dry bar. And Brittany was like looking for something else. Michael said to her, Allie and I have been like noodling on this concept for massage. Would you be interested in like running and spearheading that? And, you know, it took her like, she had to like think about it because she didn't see that coming. And, and then she thought like, yeah, this would be a really great opportunity. So Brittany is the CEO and our co-founder and has, you know, done just an amazing job with Squeeze. And the thing about Squeeze, back to what I said earlier about having a point of difference and being different, it's like, obviously like we didn't invent massages, but what we've done, and I think I'm really proud of it. And I think what we've done really well is like create this space that, you know, feels and it feels very high-end and luxurious but is affordable. But more, more so than that, it's the technology piece. Even though it is a brick and mortar, there is, you book on the app, you tip on the app, you pay every, you know, on the app, it's like a very customizable massage where you're choosing the kind of music you like and the, the, the temperature and the room heated. And there's even like a little 
like when you go through the app, when you're booking your appointment, there's like, there's like a little body and you talk and you can like press in the parts that you like deeper massage or like less deep massage or parts don't touch and you know, all of that stuff. So, you know, you walk in and you say, hi, I'm Courtney. I'm here for my massage. You know, the first time you come in, you sign a waiver. And other than that, like we have all of your stuff that each therapist has an iPad that has all your information. So you don't have to worry about forgetting to tell them, oh, I like this, or I don't like that. Like they know, and every appointment they make notes. So it's very customizable. And even like there's a little button under the bed. So after you've changed and you're comfortably in the in the bed, you press a button and then it illuminates a light outside your room. So your therapist knows you're ready. Oh, you know, awesome. You've thought of everything. We've thought of everything. Cause like, we've thought of like, when you go in for massage, what are the things that you like and you don't like? It's like that, mo- those moments when you're like running to get into bed and then you're like, shit, I forgot to take my necklace off. And then you're like standing there naked and you're like, I hope they don't walk in. And so we've eliminated that. And, and also the fact that you pay and tip on the app, it's like, when you're done with your massage, you like, you literally walk out the door and leave, which I have to tell you, was like a weird experience the first time, even when I left squeeze the first time I had a massage at squeeze, I was like, so I'm just going to go, you know, and you're like, I don't have to pay, you know, you feel like you don't, you don't have to stand in line and wait for them to find your stuff or wait for a person to be done. It's just a beautiful, seamless experience. And if you were to look at Yelp, you'll see our reviews are like all five stars, which I've notoriously never really loved Yelp because people can anonymously post and that drives me crazy. Like I'm fine with giving us negative feedback, but let us like address it. So that's a whole other podcast. Don't get me started, but (laughs) But with, but if you look at our reviews on Yelp, they're literally all five stars. I mean, Brittany's done a really great job of creating this amazing team of therapists who like love working for Squeeze. So yeah, so now we're, we were open about a year kind of proving the concept right before COVID hit. And now we're getting back up, we're up and running again. We only have the one shop in Studio City, but we're franchising all over the country. And we're doing a completely franchise model because we loved that we were able to, to turn Brittany into an entrepreneur because she she was meant to be that. And now we love the idea of being able to help other women, people just, you know, start their own business. That's pretty turnkey. So all right, Courtney, we have our next business now. I was going to say, you guys should open one. We're going to be squeeze uh, franchisees. Yes. Yes. I, you guys would be amazing. Uh, (laughs) I'll be there every day. I would say we have the same, you know, entrepreneurista addiction that you do. Courtney and I started a few other businesses during the pandemic last year because we got back a few hours a day from not having to commute. Yeah. So why not start more businesses? So we'll keep you. I know when we'll you have the <laughs> when you have the bug, you know, it's like yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it is uh, like it's just you just can't stop business bug. We like to say, yep, it's <laughs> true. So now you also went on to start another business, Beckett and Quill. Would love to hear about that business as well. And also, how are you, how are you managing your time? How do you manage your day today with so many different things that you have going on? Because you're also a mom and have to, you know, spend time with your kids and manage that schedule too, which I I can relate to. (laughs) Keep my dogs alive, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, well, so speaking of the business bug, I discovered this, a friend of mine sent me, you know, this like this heart that I'm wearing, we we just launched it in this blue color, but we also have a black one. And a friend of mine, like over a year ago, sent me this necklace as like just a gift. And I was like, this is so cute. Who makes this? And I 
I looked it up and it was this girl, Meredith Quill and this woman. And she was basically had this like little baby business that she was running herself. And she started it. She's always had this love of jewelry and she would like run into friends and then she'd be wearing a bracelet and they'd be like, oh, I love that. And she'd give it to them. And she just was like running this little business on her own. And, and I, she, so I had gotten that piece and then I started looking at her Instagram and I started ordering more pieces. And I, every time she posts something on herself, I was like, oh, I want that. And so I started like accumulating a lot of her jewelry. And so we became friends and I said to her, I was like, you know, I think this is a really great business and the price point was really great because, you know, what I, and what I learned from talking to her was like, she will make like a necklace like this, which is called our curbling necklace. And it's like, it's gold fill. So mm -hmm. it's not gold plated, which, you know, gold plated tends to like the gold comes off and it, it doesn't like last as long, but gold fill is like several layers of gold basically on a metal, like a sterling silver, but it never changes color. And you would never know if you're looking at it next to a gold necklace, like it, you can never tell. So what she was able to do was like create a lot of different kinds of jewelry that looks and feels high end, but doesn't have that price tag. And I, for somebody like me who like is obsessed with jewelry, you know, I have so many earrings, like I wear so much jewelry that I was like, I love the idea of being able to buy a lot of stuff. And even though I can afford more expensive jewelry, it's like, you know, the, the idea of spending like $3,000 on a necklace is like, oh, cause you know, you might lose it. It might break whatever. And so I loved what she was doing. And I was like, I have seen anybody create a, a line quite like this. And so we started talking and I said, you know, would, would you ever want help growing this into a much bigger business? And I, I didn't like, she, I like the packaging, whenever she would send me a package, I was like, oh, the packaging is so bad. I, I didn't love the name. I wanted to create like a whole new brand for her. And, and I told her this very candidly. And she was like, yes, please. And it turns out she like, she's so funny. I didn't know this until really like a couple months ago where she was like, I manifested you, you know, she's like, wow. I listened to your podcast and I was such a fan of yours. And I felt like, God, if I wish Allie would wear my my jewelry and love it and want to go into business with me. Kid you not. And I that's exactly I what happened. That. I believe in all of I that. Do too. I do too. I do too. Yeah. And so, so, you know, we started talking and it, and it, it took me about a year. So this, during this, this was like the year of COVID and I had already been in a place of like, I'd gone through a divorce. My life had like changed tremendously. And I wasn't in the day-to-day -day with dry bar. Brittany was really running squeeze. And I was like, shit, what am I doing? And, and not, I mean, I have like a very, I mean, I'm writing a book and I'm pitching a TV show and I have a lot of other things that I'm doing, but I was like, I need to like sink my teeth into something again. And I love jewelry so much. And it's like, of course, you guys know, it's like you start a business out of a passion. And so I was like, I'm, I love this jewelry so much. And I really feel like I can make an investment in this company and really take this to the next level. And she was all in. And so what was I, what's really kind of neat is like when Michael and I were starting dry bar, he put up all the money and gave me sweat equity, which at that point I didn't know what sweat equity was. And, and now 11 years later, I start this company with Meredith and I put up all the money and she has sweat equity, which is like a really That's kind so of awesome. interesting full circle. And so, yeah, so we launched the business about two months ago. I actually have had Cam, my ex-husband, like create, recreate the brand. And we pulled in, you know, actually the same guy who worked on the squeeze website to do the website. And we were off to the races. We've been in business about 
Today is actually two months. We started on congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. So yeah, it's been, you know, but I have to say it's been, a, it's a very different kind of business and it is requiring a whole new skill set and stuff that I don't know how to do, you know, stuff that I've never done before. You know, like I mentioned to you guys before we were recording, like, you know, and you were talking about like helping businesses and social and marketing. And I'm learning that, like, even though, you know, I'm who I am and have done what I've done and whatever, it's like, I, I think I like very naively thought, you know, we did a big mailer before we launched and I sent it to like a bunch of my influential friends and celebrities and every, and a lot of people posted and that definitely helped. But like, how do you get people to go to your website every single day and shop? Oh shit. That doesn't just happen, you know? And I'm like, oh my God. Need some Facebook and Instagram ads. Facebook, I know. Like, Instagram, oh. Google. Yeah. So and now, well, now I'm learning that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm being pretty like open and candid about that because the more you talk about it, the more people are like, you know what you should do? You should try blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, let's try that, you know? So, but it's a really fun challenge and like place for me to be because it's something I don't know. I don't know how to do this. And I'm learning it as we go. And Meredith is like the jewelry designer and we, you know, collab on things and we talk about what we like and, and all of that, but she's really spearheads that. And I'm just trying to help like grow the business and it's super fun. And, um, I, and I love it. It's very different. I have a question about your partnership because she had already started her business and then you got together, rebranded, you brought in money and resources how did you figure out how to structure the partnership with equity? Because I know a lot of our entrepreneurs, many of our entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast, they're solo founders. Sometimes they'll reach out because they're like, I really want to find a business partner. And they don't know how to find a partner or how to structure those type of deals. How did you figure that out? For me, I get, I mean, just because of like, I guess what I've done and whatever I, you know, I get, I get sent things all the time. You know, people send me back you guys sent me a really awesome package too, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, I get sent a lot of stuff and there, frankly, there's a lot of things that come my way that I'm like, Ooh, this would be so good if they could, if they did this, this, and this, like, I love the, the idea, but it needs some, some like finesse and some help, which is what, what really happened with Meredith. So two parts to your question. I mean, I think in finding a partner, it's like, you know, finding somebody who either has this great idea that you think you can help with, or, or you have this great idea and you need to go to somebody. I, I really believe that like within our networks, we have those people like lawyers and entrepreneurs and people who like want to help. So I always say like, go to your network and like, don't be afraid to ask, which, which by the way, a lot of people are, a lot of people are like, I don't want, I don't want to bother them. Like, fuck that. Just bother, bother people. You know, like I'm such a like, ask away. The worst they can say is no, or not respond. Like who cares? You know? So I have very much that mentality, but then as far as like structuring the deal, you know, I think because of the, the experience that I had with dry bar, you know, it's like, like I said about my brother, you know, it was like, I knew Meredith didn't have the financial means to put into this business, what it needed, but she is like the talent and she is the jewelry designer. So, you know, I, that's why I, proposed to her, like, Hey, here's what we're going to, here's what I think we should do. You know, I'm going to take like, you know, we're like, we're 50, 50 partners. I'm going to take 50% of the business and I'm going to put up all the money to grow this. 
and you're going to have 50% of the business and that's for doing what you do. And also, you know, not to get too into the weeds, but like making sure that like what she was making already, she continued to make just running it herself because that was like what she was already making. I'm not drawing a salary right now from the business. I probably won't for a very long time until it becomes profitable. I mean, it's, it is profitable, but not, it's still really small that we're just putting everything back into the business. And she was fine with that. We have equal control on everything. And it's like, I can't go do something crazy. Neither can she. And that's, I think that's the best way to structure a partner. I mean, we partnership, we could have done it where she, one of us had like 51%, one had 49, but I'm just like, why do that? You know, it's like, we want to make every decision really together. And, and what's great. And the reason it works with us. And I think the reason most partnerships work when they do is because one person is like, this is what she does. And this is what I do. Like Meredith's not on a lot of the calls that I take and a lot of the things that I'm doing for Beckett, Beckett and Quill, because She's it just like, doesn't need to be involved in that stuff. You know, it's like, I'm leveraging every relationship you can imagine, right. To figure out how to like grow this business. And she doesn't always need to be a part of those things. And I've brought in a consultant who works for us part-time, who is more of a marketing, like operations person who's helping me with that stuff. And like, I make her not make, but I ask her to put spreadsheets together and to do all that stuff. Cause I'm just not good at it. I don't like it. And, you know, so I'm supplementing for the things that I'm not good at. And, and frankly, we need still so much more help as we continue to grow, but we're, you know, we're, we're a baby brand right now and we're figuring it out, but she is doing what I believe and what we believe is like her highest and best use. It's like, she's making the jewelry. She's putting the pieces together. She's ideating on new jewelry. And, and that keeps her plenty, plenty busy. And I'm over here trying to figure out how to continue growing the business. And, and it is an interesting rub because like, we're about, we're working on this like collaboration with a, a bigger brand and it's going to be a lot of work and a lot of work for her. And she's like, this is a lot. I don't know if we can do this. I'm like, listen, we have to do this because we have to get ourselves to the next level. And she's like, ah. I mean, she wants to, but it's, it's, it's a little out of her wheelhouse too. Yeah. So we're going to have to figure out how to get her some help. And you know, it's just, you know, it's a really, it's an interesting time, but divide um, and conquer, divide and conquer. We definitely DAC, we type yeah. it, we text it all the time. Oh, I like that. Stephanie and I have said divide and conquer since day one, but we never, Me and my never brother said too. DAC. <laughs> My brother and I, you know, I mean, not as much, but in the dry bar days, like we would text like incessantly and it's like, there's just so many things that need to get done. And I was like, well, I'll go do this and you go do this. And we would always type the words DAC because it was like, we got to get divide and conquer. At Courtney, I think that's our new hashtag. Hashtag <laughs> How did we not think of that? <laughs> you thought of business biz buzz, biz bug. So business you went bug. there. Yeah. Yeah. Biz bug. The addiction. There, there is no cure. Up next, the importance of always doing what you love. All right, Allie, we do a fun little segment where we like to do some rapid fire questions. So we're going to ask you a few questions. The first thing that comes to your mind, are you ready? Ready. I love this. All right. Describe yourself in three words. Oh, I would say impulsive, driven, and authentic. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? To sing. Mm. I would like, I have a dream of being, I wish I could sing. I want to be a singer so bad <laughs> in my next life. Country, preferably. Weird, ah, I know. Love that. What is your most used emoji when you text? It's probably a toss up between like the kissy face and the one that's like, you know, that one that's yeah. like, I, mean, I do that one a lot. 
What's the app, that, yeah. Sorry, what app on your phone can you not live without? Gosh, I don't know. Probably does the calendar app count? Is that an app? Yeah, yeah. that counts. Yeah, I feel like I just like my whole life. Although, you know, I have to say now with Beckett and Quill, I have, you know, we use Stripe, you know, to for our to see like the sales. I that I love that app so much. I love looking to see what our sales are for the that, day. That was actually my next yeah. question was your favorite tech business solution that you can't live without. So, so oh, yeah, probably <laughs> Stripe. Yeah. It's like between Stripe, I'm like, I'm literally looking at my phone. It's like, it's like Stripe and and my calendar are probably, I also have an app on here called Calm, which I don't actually look at very often, but I keep it on there like as if I'm going to at some point. The Calm Meditation app? Yeah. We, yeah. we have to, we'll have to introduce you to another entrepreneurista. She has a meditation app and business called Core. Oh, really, really cool. cool. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to send you that link if you like meditation. I do, I do. Do you have a hidden talent? Well, it's not singing. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't know if this is like so much of a talent, but I, cause no, I don't think there's something that really springs to mind, but I will say that I'm like, if this was a talent, like I can usually like, I'm a really good troubleshooter. Like I can figure shit out, you know? And I, I really feel like I pride myself on that. Like if there's like a problem, I will figure out a solution. You know, I'm just, that's like, I love that kind of stuff. Like, you know, figuring out something on the fly. And so I think I'm, I'm pretty good at like, adjusting to like, you know, something like going wrong and you have to figure out a way to fix it. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, it's like, this would be a blessing and a curse, like to be able to like read people's minds. Mm. I would want to be able to do that, but I think it would also be bad news, yeah. <laughs> but, but kind of awesome. Or like to be a fly, to be able to be like a fly on a wall, like a, to a certain like, right. Be invisible, be invisible and listen to certain conversations. Oh, yeah, that would be really interesting. Definitely some places I would want to be to find out what people were saying for sure. I know, I know. It'd be terrible. Like what's really going on in that meeting? Right, right. <laughs> well, that was the end of our rapid fire question. So back to our regularly scheduled programming here. <laughs> what what does your typical day look like now? I know things have obviously changed a lot over, over the past year. Well, you know, there's kind of like no two days that look alike is, is kind of how things are now. I mean, you know, it's basically like, so we have squeeze that I'm on the board and you know, that we're, we, so I feel like there's, there's lots of calls and just uh, planning stuff with squeeze and press. So I'm doing interviews and stuff like that and doing podcasts like this, you know, running and figuring out like a million different things with Beckett and Quill, which comes in a lot of different forms. So, you know, some days it's just like making sure I'm posting enough and taking calls and meetings and trying to grow that business. And then, you know, Adrian and I are recording our podcast, raising the bar. And that's, that's a whole other, I mean, that I, I really enjoy that a lot because we get to do it together and, and we, you know, like you guys know, get to talk to really cool people and hear really cool stories. So there's that. And then there's like, also just, the kids and I have two boys and Adrian has two kids. So kind of figuring out our lives and yeah, it's just like a mixed bag every day of different things, which I love. And I'm, you know, I'm at the point in my life where like, I, 
I also really love my downtime. Like I love, I have, you know, you asked before about apps, like another app I love is Melissa Wood Yoga. I don't know if you know her, but she mm-hmm. is awesome. And I really try to like, I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, I don't, I try to schedule things like with an hour in between. Cause I really like want the downtime between like interviews or calls or whatever I'm doing. Cause I feel like I need like the mental space to like decompress. Cause I historically go from like thing to thing, to thing, to thing. And I just like, can't do that anymore. Don't want to do that anymore. And I walk a lot, you know, I usually like, I will take, I will like probably after this call, I'll walk and check my email and catch up that way. I like to like keep my body moving. And so, yeah, it's like every day is, is just, is different, but usually most of that. Thank you. Day. Thank you for just sharing that tip about blocking an hour in between things, because yeah. last, I think it was last Friday, I called Courtney and I said, Courtney, I need serious help with my calendar and overscheduling because yeah. I feel like I am just out of breath at the end of every day. Like go, 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 go. There's the no worst feeling on the emails. I'm like, I have to figure out some solution to figure out my calendar and how to say no to things mm-hmm. and, and take these breaks yeah. because at some and you point, know, I, yeah. it is like, I'm sure we're very similar in this. Like I want, I want to say yes to everything. I've gotten better about saying no, I'm still not great at it, but you know, it's also like, you know, I have an assistant too, who like, I'm like, listen, that can get pushed for like three or four weeks. Like don't, uh, you know, and, and it's like been a dance. Like figure, I actually have a new assistant now that it's only been with me for a couple of months. And I'm like, just if, if it can wait, like push it, like, and don't, and, and it's funny because she also helps Adrian and Adrian is a coach and he talks to people all day. And I'm, I always say to him, like, I don't know how you fucking do it. Like, I don't <laughs> know how you talk to people like right today, he's back to back to back until four o'clock. And I'm like, I just could never, but anyways, you know, I'm like, give me just schedule things out and push things out. And if people are flexible, push them because I want the time in between. I don't want to be crazy like that. It is because you do, you feel out of breath at the end of the day. And you also feel like, shit, there's so many things that I needed to do that I didn't get to because I just scheduled, scheduled, scheduled. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's like, I think it's also part of our like mental sanity and so important to, to do that for sure. What was it like working with your brother? How do you find balance when you're in business with your family? Michael and I were always really close. So we loved working together. And I think the fact that we had worked together in the Nicole Miller days, which I briefly mentioned, and we did like everything wrong and we fought and we had such a hard time. And when my parents heard we were going back into business together, they were like, you guys are out of your minds. What are you doing? (laughs) But, you know, it actually taught us how to work together better. And so, you know, like I touched on, like even with Meredith, it was like Michael had a very specific skill set and things that he was really good at and like running a business in the back end of stuff. And I really knew the hair industry and I knew how to run a salon. So we were able to like stay in our own lanes. And then, of course, you add my then husband in and it was like rest it could seem like a recipe for disaster, but it was the same thing. It was like, Cam was like, he was the creative mastermind and he, he did all that stuff. And I, you know, and we all worked together, of course, but like, if there was ever like a decision to be made and we need to figure something out, it was like, we would defer to the person who's like lane that was, you know, and that's how it really worked. And Michael and I loved working together. I mean, we loved, we were always been really close and we still are. And in the early days and when we, we used to share an office and that was a really cool experience because I would hear him talking about things on the phone that I was like, 
huh? He would get off the phone and I'd be like, can you explain what you were just, what that meant? Cause I didn't get it. And I wanted to learn and, and vice versa. I would be talking to him about the stores and what was going on. And I, and he, I would explain to him. So it was a great learning opportunity. And, you know, and then not to mention the fact that we're brother and sister. And so like Michael, like jokes that I, you know, he still looks at me and sees like, you know, a, a five-year-old girl in pigtails and, we like notoriously would be in, in like board meetings and like, they didn't want us to sit together because we'd be like making jokes and like poking each other. And, you know, that's just like, <laughs> they're like, separate those two, you know? So yeah, I mean, we just fun, you know? And I think that like, that's part of what made dry bar so great. It was like, we had so much fun running it. And, and, and those parts of it, I really miss, you know, it was like, we were building this thing and it was like on fire and everybody was so excited about it. And we were like, I cannot tell you how many times Michael and I would like text each well I told you we texted like maniacs and we would text each other like can you believe this like can you believe what we did like just like the astonishment of like holy shit this business like worked and is amazing and people love it and it's growing and all these things that we get to do and so yeah I mean, we felt like really lucky and excited to be doing it together it's really really incredible would you say that there's a mantra or quote that you live by or just defines who you are, your work ethic? You know, I think it's like probably some sort of like, I don't know if I have a mantra, but more like kind of leading with kindness. And I've really tried over the years and I've, I've definitely gotten better at it. And I wasn't great at it in the beginning, but like creating an environment where people felt like they could tell me the truth. And I think in the early days of dry bar, there was a lot of like, trying to protect me from like the bad stuff. And I'm like, don't protect me. Like, I need to know, like, I don't, I don't want this like facade of what's really going on. I want to know. And so, you know, I've always tried to be like, and, and I, and I, it's interesting because I work with a girl who, who used to work with me and she will say to me things like, you're much more open than you used to be. I think also going through a divorce and like the craziness that my life was the last two years really like softened me as a human. But I think like creating an environment where people around you are, are not afraid of you, which I, I, that was a thing in the early days that I, that I, people, I didn't realize it, but I remember my brother saying to me, like, you know, people are really intimidated and scared of you. I'm like, what, you know, and I was like, shit, I have to change that, you know? So I've worked like hard on, on being approachable and being, you know, being vulnerable, which is also part of why, like, I publicly talk about a lot of this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like that, I can't tell you how many times I've said, I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room. I'm usually not, but I'm scrappy and I can figure things out. But, and then creating that environment of making people feel like they are the smartest person in the room, people who work for you, you know, or work with you. I almost never say they work for me. I always say people work with me, you know, cause I want to create that environment of like, treating people really well and, may, and empowering them to feel like they can, they have a seat at the table always, you know? So I think that is probably my biggest thing. Yeah. Is there anything else you wish you knew earlier in your career? I mean, I think I learned a lot. I mean, I learned everything, you know, on the job and I, you know, I learned about raising money and growing and scaling a business and, you know, and I think I learned everything in the, in the order and this, the, the way I, like the path I was supposed to, I think it took me a while. And this is kind of what we touched on earlier that I was telling you, I talked to my dad about, I think it took me a while to like come into my own, you know, I think it took me a while to like find my strength and my confidence in like, as in a businesswoman, because I didn't consider myself that I still don't always, you know, I, I think like many successful people, I think I have that like imposter syndrome. Like when I end up on a list with like, 
alongside like Whitney Wolf from Bumble, who happens to be a friend of mine or any of these like a big entrepreneurs. I'm like, what? You know, I still feel like mm, people are going to be like, why is she on that list? You know, like I get that, but I feel like that is like having that confidence of like being really sure of myself took me a, a little while to get comfortable in that role. And I, part of me wishes I had, had gotten that sooner, but, but I don't, you know, I'm such a, like, everything happens the way it was supposed to. And I, there's not a lot of things that I look back on and wish I had known then. I think it all, all part, happened the way all, it was supposed to. All part yeah. of the journey, all part of the yep. journey. Finally, yep. Allie, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? You know, it probably is like having, you know, that your like own, like kind of like gumption to go out and do what you want, be your own boss, make your own path, find your own way, you know, that all of that kind of stuff of being able to like turn nothing into something, you know, and I think there are many, many different ways to find success and, and to become a leader. And it doesn't, there's not one way to do it. There's not one, you don't have to go to school to be this or work for this person or, you know, whatever, there's so many different ways to do it. So I think it's like, for me, it was like, just, you know, following, I talk a lot about how I feel like all of the decisions I made in my early, like twenties, like very uniquely prepared me for where I ended up. And that was not a like premeditated thing. That was me just following the thing that I loved at the time, you know, which took me on this like wild ride, you know, but all of that stuff was really important. So it's like, when I say like finding your own like power and strength, your own life and your own path, it's like, it's my, it's the biggest and best advice I can give to people is like, do what you love always. And if that seems stupid to your parents or your friends, like who cares, just go do it. And it will lead you to what is like, you know, is, is the thing for you, you know? And that's, that's how, what I feel like happened to me. I, I just kept doing the things that I like doing that got me out of bed in the morning and, and made me excited to go to work. And that ultimately led me to a lot of success. Well, it's incredible what you've accomplished and I couldn't agree more. Follow what mm -hmm. you love and the success will definitely come. I feel like we could talk for hours right now because <laughs> I have so many more questions about <laughs> fundraising and all of your lessons learned there. So when our episode comes I'll out, come back. We'll, do, we'll do either another little mini soda or an Instagram live or LinkedIn live and, and share some more tips. Yeah, we'll I'd love to. Definitely connect again to do that. For thank sure. you so, so much, Allie, for sharing your story and journey. And thank you all thank for you. listening. And of course, leaving us a five-star review and rating the show and sharing this episode with your friends. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneurs. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Founders are always asking us what has been the secret to our success building multiple seven-figure businesses. Do you want to know how? It's our community. We created the Entrepreneurs League for founders like you. Our members have access to everything we've used to grow our businesses over the past 10 plus years. To learn more and get on the wait list for when doors are open again, head over to entrepreneurista.com. That's entrepreneurista.com to get on the wait list.